to Over the Head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I am your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone on Voice America Women's Channel. And with me is my co-host, Lauren Beller, president of Big Fish Nation, and she is the big fish. How are you this morning, Lauren? Good morning, Catherine. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm great because we have some really big fish on the show this morning. Our first guest is going to be Professor Sally Morgan-Reese, and she's the University of A University of Connecticut professor, distinguished professor, past president of the National Association for Gifted Children, and principal investigator for the National Research Center on the Gifted and Talented. So, Lauren, she's going to be talking to us not only about gifted and talented children, but specifically gifted and talented young girls and women, which should be of special interest to you since you have a young daughter who I am sure is gifted and talented. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yes, well you will find out from Dr. Reese whether or not she is. But anyway, she has just written really this definitive work and it's called Work Left Undone, Choices and Compromises of Talented Females. So let's welcome her to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Doctor. Thanks very much, Catherine. I appreciate being asked. Yes, great to have you. And what a fascinating book. First of all, you have a special program, a Center for Gifted Education and Talent Development at the University of Connecticut, and uh, that also includes boys and girls, not just girls. But uh, do you think first we need to define what are gifted and talented students? Who are they? And is there a difference between gifted and talented girls and boys? Well, we usually talk about gifted and talented students in the sense that these are students who score and usually the top 5 to 10% of their, you know, aptitude or achievement levels, but they're also students with a particularly high level of motivation and creativity. And many of these youngsters at, at a very young age um, make themselves known to their teachers because they need extra challenge, they want extra work, they're looking, they're seeking actually different things to do. And without those opportunities for challenge, many of them become bored and disinterested in school. So there, there really is a need for special programs. So, Dr. Reese, you say that they're, they're really, it sounds to me like you're saying they're begging for challenges. They are, you know, they, they obviously, they, they need these challenges, but they're not necessarily available in our school systems. Now, I know you've done research, what, for the past 20 years, uh, right. specifically with girls, but um, to me it seems like, and I had a son who was in the Gifted and Talented program in our community. Mm-hmm. There's a stigma in our society attached to being gifted and talented in the same way as there is a stigma uh, attached to persons with disabilities. It's very similar. Well, you're right. You're right. I mean, there, it's interesting. One of the people in our field, I think, said a really very, very smart thing. He said that we like the products of gifted and talented individuals, but we don't always like those individuals. There seems to be a sense that that these are youngsters who are already endowed with some special talents and Many teachers don't know what to do, and many teachers also feel like these are already kids with a high level of confidence. We probably should let them know what they don't do well as opposed to enhancing what they do well. And, of course, in today's school, with the emphasis on no child left behind and making sure that the very lowest achieving kids come up to grade level, there's even been less attention paid to both gifted girls and gifted boys throughout throughout the country. In fact, I've never seen a time, I've been at this for 30 years, and I've never seen a time when so little is being done for youngsters who are the, you know, potentially 
the young people who will go into science and math and art and history and who will make change in our country. Yeah, who will lead us. But why do you think that is? I mean, why, why, why the climate now in the past 20 years? Why aren't we doing something for and with these gifted and talented young men and women? Well, I think it's, you know, of every $100 spent by the federal government on education, there's two pennies devoted to gifted education. $67 go to No Child Left Behind legislation, and you can't really say it any, any better than that. We're, we're trying to, we're really confusing equity with excellence. You know, we're trying to make everybody come up to grade level, even youngsters, you know, who we're now being told that if kids in, are in this country for six months, they don't speak English, they still have to take the assessments. We're trying to, get youngsters with very, very special education needs up to grade level who may never, ever get there, and we're yet, yet we're penalizing teachers in schools when they can't achieve that. I mean, it's almost an impossible goal. And, and I, I remember, this is 10 years ago, the son that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. being in a classroom where when they decided to get rid of the gifted and talented program, they did it for two years, and said it was the responsibility of the gifted children to teach those other children who weren't catching on. You're absolutely right. That's called cooperative learning, and... To be very honest, the absolute worst teacher you can ever have for another child is a teacher who is a child that is so bright that can't explain how they learn something. So I work with talented readers, and these are kids who teach themselves to read. Oftentimes they read four or five grade levels above. And you can imagine somebody who's speeding through reading trying to help somebody who's struggling. The struggling student feels even worse, and oftentimes the talented student can't explain how they've learned something. They you know, they integrate more quickly. They synthesize material more quickly. So it's really not a good situation for either student. No, and they're not teachers. They're children. <laughs> they're Absolutely. Still, yeah, they're still children. And so they have how... a right to make continuous progress. You know, we study kids who come into first grade reading at a fifth grade level. Five years later, they're still reading at a fifth grade level. They've not received any instruction that moves them ahead of that level. And then by fifth or sixth grade, they're bored. They're disinterested. They're turned off. When they're given work that's appropriate, they think they're not smart anymore as opposed to thinking, oh, this is what effort is. Now I understand. They just say, well, wait a minute. To me, being smart meant they never had to work. Is it true that they drop out of school at the same rate that children who don't do well in school, you know, the yes. other end of that bell-shaped curve? Yes. There's a very high, there's a high dropout rate, um, proportionally speaking, for students who are gifted and talented in there's a very high underachievement rate. I did a study in an urban high school, a longitudinal study for four years. We found 50% of the students that we would been following, these are very, very, um, you know, very high students, three to, top three to five percent, were underachieving, so they were getting Ds and Fs by the time they reached their junior year. Several of those students dropped out, so 50% of the population we studied was underachieving by their senior year, junior, senior year in high school. So, Sally, what do we do? I mean, now we're talking about, I guess you would define them as external barriers, which would be the school system and the, mm-hmm. and the attitude to, towards gifted and talented children. But what about within the family? I mean, first of all, how do you identify that perhaps you do have a child who is gifted and or talented or both? Yeah, usually. I mean, it's, it's, identification varies across states, but it's really not a difficult process. We find most identification systems look at kids who score in the top 5% of aptitude or achievement, and then, again, teacher nomination to look at youngsters who have um, enthusiasm, who have motivation, who show creativity. Again, that extra little little challenge that these youngsters need. And, and, and identification, and many times we're identifying potential 
And then what we try to do is provide school-based programs that will really help kids realize that potential. Well, what about your three-year-old who's reading, let's say before they even get into a school system or a daycare system or preschool or whatever, and you're you're there with your two- and three-year-old who's doing all kinds of incredible things, and then what do you do? Because at that point, don't you think you have some responsibility to to do something as a parent? Yeah, absolutely. You try to engage. You try to make sure you expose that child to more reading. You read with him you go, or her. You take them to the museums. You have conversations. You try to enrich and engage at home in any number of ways. Playing, letting kids use their imagination, turning off the television, spend less time, having kids spend less time actually in passive activities and more time in active activities. You know, having them get involved in, um, if you can, having them get involved in, um, again, anything that might be enriching in the community, library chat times exposing them to museums, taking them places. All of those kinds of things make a difference. The more exposure you give children like that at a young age, the better off they'll be. And then you have to be prepared to advocate when they get into school. Parents need to know to ask about grouping patterns, ask about opportunities for high-level reading opportunities. Again, do you group in reading? Are there opportunities for my child to be with students of a similar level of achievement in mathematics? Do you use acceleration? Ellen, what do you do within the family? You know, I think that there's oftentimes this is sort of a, a script for sibling rivalry because sometimes mm-hmm. it's very difficult when you have your three-year-old who's reading at a higher level than your five-year-old who's not dumb by any means but who just isn't as in the gifted and talented, uh, right. you know, we had that exact We had that exact situation in our family. I had two daughters, um, our, last, our, our, two, our two daughters who were born when I was a little bit older. I had a, a daughter who was uh, born early and she had a severe learning disability. And our youngest daughter taught her exactly what you said, taught herself to read at three. In fact, read several years above her older sister always. And what we did is we, we always told every, all of our kids, we have four children, that everybody had special talents and everybody was good at different things. And we tried to enhance the strengths. I think that a lot of parents that have youngsters that are not as bright focus on deficits. With our daughter that had the learning disability, she was very good at verbal communication. She was very, very good at leadership things. And we, we tried to enhance her strengths while all this at the same time, indicating that her sister's strengths were very different. And, in fact, um, our youngest daughter is at Northwestern University. She was always an academic superstar. Our older daughter struggled with school throughout the years, but she went to college and graduated and is doing stuff in oral communication. She's a museum, <laughs> assistant curator at a museum where she does tours. So, you know, those kinds of things, as long as we look at the individual talents and never compare. Yeah, never and I think compare. the whole thing that you just said, the individual talents, and emphasize the diversity. I mean, we mm-hmm. get confused with that equality. I have to do exactly the same thing for all my kids, and I have three mm-hmm. boys. But, it, no, you you pick out their special talents, and then right. you emphasize those. And I think a lot of parents don't do that, right. so that there's always that comparison, you know. Um, and um, so I think what that's What are you good important. at? You know, always asking what that child's good at and enhancing that with clubs or activities or, you know, even if it's athletics, whatever it happens to be, that's what you focus on. I think schools and oftentimes family are too much about what kids don't do well as opposed to what they do well. Do you think that parents themselves are threatened by children? And let, I, I, now I kind of want to hone in on the um, on the girls because mm-hmm. uh, young women who are gifted and talented, or young girls, I mean that there's that uh, it, it's difficult for for fathers and mothers to accept that, you know, given their definition of what a woman or a young girl mm-hmm. should be or should be doing. You know what we hear the most often, and that is parents call and say, 
you know, I didn't want my child to be this different. I didn't want her to be this advanced. I just wanted a normal, happy, good kid, you know. <laughs> and I think it isn't an added responsibility. But also, some of these young people that I work with are very different. I mean, having a child that only wants to do math or is totally into science or is you know, completely into technology, and that's what they want to do. Even you know, many of these youngsters identify uh, an interest very early on they're single-minded in their pursuit of that interest, and that becomes much more important to them than doing other things, being, you know, being in the band, being a cheerleader, being in the plays. And a lot of parents want their kids to, to be all things. They want them to be, you know, polite and cheerful and attractive, and they, they don't want kids that are single-minded or they don't want youngsters that are different or that focus primarily on academics. No, because it's a challenge for them. I mean, it it becomes, yeah, and it's a big challenge and a big responsibility. Going to take a short break right now. We're talking to Dr. Sally Morgan-Reese, professor at the University of Connecticut and author of Work Left Undone, Choices and Compromises of Talented Females. You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. I have three children, and I've been raising my 16-year-old sister. Mary Gallagher and her family shared a two-bedroom apartment with eight people. Now Habitat for Humanity is helping her build a simple, decent, affordable home of her own. When we first found out that we were getting a Habitat home, it was like a dream. I kept saying, don't anybody wake me up. Not only is Mary helping build her own home, she'll buy it with a no-profit, zero-interest mortgage to keep it affordable. Habitat came out and built my home, and when Mary started building her house, I wanted to come out and give a hand. We're not just building Mary's house, we're building a neighborhood. There's several more to be built this year, and I look forward to working on each of their houses and seeing the joy of their face when they open the door to their brighter future. Habitat for Humanity. Building homes, changing lives. Support the work in your community. Visit Habitat.org. I feel very blessed. God has answered all of my prayers. We are home. Ladies, are you looking for a place where you can talk candidly about anything and everything? Well, here it is. Timeless Women Speak on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk about sexuality, age-proofing your career, finding your passion and purpose, keeping your brain power, keeping your marriage fresh, dating for grown-ups, plastic surgery, surviving our beauty culture, and much more. Tune in Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific to Timeless Women Speak with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly on the Voice America Women's Channel. Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Fox, your social worker with a microphone on Voice America Women's Channel. And joining me this morning is Dr. Sally Morgan-Reese, author of Work Left Undone, 
choices and compromises of talented females. And Sally, let's talk. Let's. I want to hone in on the young girls because I think they do. You know, after reading your book, have special problems in terms of developing their talents as, as a, a gifted and talented young woman, and some of that stuff that. Uh, uh, I think stays with them throughout their whole lives so that they don't achieve what they're able to achieve, some of the things or the expectations or the negative stereotypes that their parents have of young girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this happens often. I mean, again, many times if if mothers, for example, have not been good at math or science, they, they, they many times transfer that, that fear to their children. And again, many times people just don't want a youngster who is, this bright and this committed, you know, you don't you don't necessarily want to see somebody grow up and take a career and perhaps not have children or not live a traditional life. Um, it's a hard thing. It's a hard balance. So Sally, is it still you got to get that you know MRS? So you know, got to be Mrs. Got married, that kind of stuff. Or have things changed? Is somewhat different than it was, let's say, for I'm a baby boomer over the past thirty twenty five yeah. years. Well, I think again, it depends on perspective. Has it changed for you and me? Yes, we. There's so many more opportunities for us to excel in our work. Has it changed for what parents want from their daughters? Um, we just don't find that. We find, again, most parents want their daughters to have a more traditional life, to have a marriage, to have children, to have a what they consider to be a happy personal life, and not necessarily not to have those things in favor of a career that's all-encompassing. I, my, I still have conversations with my mother. You know, I've been in my career for... 30 years, she still says to me, why do you work so hard? What do you have to prove? Why do you put in so many hours? Well, I want to know, do you have a brother, though? Do you have a brother? Yeah, I have five siblings, actually, and I have two brothers, and the same things are not ever said to my brother. Never said, why do you work so hard to your brothers? No. No. Yeah. I'm going to get the same thing myself, actually, Uh, and I have two brothers. always grew up in male-dominated families, patriarchal families, and uh, I get some of the same stuff. Well, you talk about in the book, which I found, I went right to those chapters, actually, where women 55 or older are sort of finding themselves, you know, and becoming really successful, um, you know, at the second part of their lives because they didn't feel that they could do it or didn't do it in the first half of their lives. Uh, That's one of my most exciting research studies. I studied um, women of of eminence, very, very, um, you know, highly accomplished women who felt really after 50 and, and really peaking at 55 that finally they had a sense of who they were, what they wanted, you know, what was important to them. They were less concerned about their appearance. They were less compared, concerned about what other people thought about them. They weren't bogged down with their estrogen. <laughs> Absolutely. They just could fly. And, yeah. and these, you know, many times men's trajectory for their careers, their most impressive years, are in their 30s and 20s, 30s, and 40s. And what I believe is that for many women, the time that their career can really become their focus, their work, is when their children are in college or raised or out of the house, that they're they're finally again at a point where they can accept their talents and they're not so bogged down by the external kind of factors that influence you negatively. So, Sally, give us an example. Tell us one of those. Give us one of those stories. All right. I'll tell you about one of my favorite, and that is... um, I mean, I have many of them, but I, I studied a woman um, named Mary Hunter Wolf who died just recently. She was the first female producer on Broadway. Um, she produced High Button Shoes and, and oh, she, Peter Pan, and she was one of. She actually worked, you know, simultaneously with some of the greats in Broadway. You wouldn't know her name because, as a young woman, um, her best friend died, leaving three children, and so she moved to Connecticut, and she married her best friend's husband, and, and, you know, 
brought up these three kids in a very loving and wonderful family relationship that later subsequently she was divorced and at around her you know late late mid to mid 50s she just put her efforts completely back into theater and she started um, a huge theater program in Connecticut she was active in the Shakespeare program that they started in Stratford Connecticut she became kind of the artist in in, in our arts education the most important person in our state and she worked Nonstop until she was in her 80s, um, and just was completely committed to youth theater programs. Again, having given up this career and then going back to it with such zest and such joy, and I think that's a perfect example. I mean, and she, by the way, didn't look back at regret because of what happened. She, she rather took those experiences and said, "I, I have these wonderful children now, and I, I also now at this point in my life can have a career and I can spend all my time working." And that's what she did. That's a great story, and that's not the only story in, in in your book. So we, you know, that's just sort of that's just one of them. But they are they're incredible stories. What can parents do, um, Sally? Like to, I think what you need when you have a gifted and talented child, uh, particularly a girl, you need support. I think from other parents, and I think it, it, you know you mentioned a lot of different things that one can do in terms of getting support so that you aren't alone in this in raising this child and making sure that you are, you know, doing the best that you can. So there are three or four things that you mention in the book that, that parents of gifted and talented young women can, can look to. Well, certainly one of the things is to, to read some of the literature. The, the National Association for Gifted Children, the organization I was president of, which is at www.nagc.org, has a tremendous website for parents. It's free. I mean, I would encourage people to join just because of the advocacy, but most of the suggestions and advice on their website are free, and they have, tr- they have just wonderful resources. I would look for programs in your daughter's area of interest. Um, I had a daughter who was interested in debate, and I found debate programs for her. Our youngest daughter was interested in theater, and we always found community theater. I mean, a lot of the, t- a lot of the responsibility for talent development, I think, lies in the hands of parents who will drive, who will find their daughter's passion area and look for opportunities like that. You know, look for role models. Try to find um, books about women. I love having young girls read stories about people like Eleanor Roosevelt, for example, or Mary Sanger, or women that, that had almost all women who, especially our, you know, our, our foremothers, all of the women that had um, talents oftentimes encountered obstacles. And it can be inspirational for young girls to read the stories of some of these women. Yeah, well, I think when I was a young girl, we mostly we were all, except for uh, Marie Curie, we, yeah, we were reading all about men. And, and uh, I just remember recently reading a book as Elizabeth Blackwell, the first physician, right. yeah, mm-hmm. which was a wonderful story, inspiring story. But, uh, you know, those kinds of books, they weren't available for women at that time. And I think, you know, what you're saying is one of the things, I just attended a conference, uh, I don't know, Pink Magazine, which is a new magazine that's yes. been on, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they had a series of conferences throughout the country, and I went to the one in New York and Boston. And it's, you know, it's a uh, magazine that promotes entrepreneurship for women, and it's yes. encouraging and supportive. I don't know if you've ever been to any of those, but... They were so, and most of the women were younger than I, younger women, 20s and 30s and uh, 40s, but they were so inspiring. And, and I thought to myself, boy, you know, when you've got this, this, all of this behind you, it makes it a lot easier to get out there and to, to do what you need to do. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think there's more of that. I don't, I mean, it, at least there are more opportunities for joining those kinds of organizations and seminars and those kinds of things. 
Right, and you know what else makes a difference? Things like, <clears throat> not again, school is very important. Those six or seven hours the girls spend in school are critical, and you've got to look for um, areas that girls can excel, and you want to make sure that there are similar numbers of girls and boys in, in the advanced algebra classes, for example, at school, the advanced math and science classes. But also, summer programs can make a huge difference. So programs where you send your daughter away to, to do science with a scientist in the summer. There are so many opportunities that are there that were not there years ago, and I believe those are the kinds of things that will make a difference in increasing the number of women. You know, one of that go into all of these different fields, probably one of the more important things that I'd, I'd want to say while we have a few minutes is that it's not so much that girls don't excel in school, you know, and, and we're seeing more and more girls go to college. We've, girls have always done better in school than boys. We've always been better lesson learners. The difference is for, for young women, gifted women in particular, have been in life. So the issue is we don't want to just see young women become valedictorians. We're interested in seeing them transfer those kinds of skills and passions to work later on. We need more women politicians. We need more women scientists. I can't help but think if we had more women rulers, we'd have more peace in this country. I you know, agree in with this you. World. We've never had a woman issue. president. I mean, it's amazing. You know, the United States of America, I mean, we may have one, but, uh, yeah, I agree with you. We probably would not be so uh, aggressive and, and probably have less wars if we did that. that. That's very true. But what about this? I mean, Sally, you, you know, as I understand it, and um, that, like, medical schools and, and uh, law schools, 50% of the classes are women. So you're saying they go to school, they, they become maybe doctors or lawyers, but then they don't really pursue that in terms of uh, later they, on career right, they don't, right, create exactly. It's the creative, productive opportunities that, that, in fact, when you see more, more, there are more women entering med school, graduating from med school, graduating from law school right now. However, when you look at the highest levels of productivity in every field, that's where you see fewer women. And so the number of patents, you know, it's, it's something like 95% men, 5% women. The number of women... Even the number of women who wrote book, who wrote, write books, who get Nobel Prizes, who go into mathematics and science and technology, major historians at universities, that's where we're seeing that, that, the, dif the differentiation. And I think that the more opportunities we give young girls and the more choices, that's why the book is entitled Choices and Compromises, we want young women to understand that, that having children and that having a family is a, is a wonderful life. However, it isn't necessary for every single woman. There are choices that can be made. There are some women that I've interviewed who knew, you know, for example, they went into a career in research sciences. They chose not to have children. They knew that they were so passionate about their work that that was what they should be doing, and they pro they wouldn't have been good parents because their work was more important. And I, and I think that it's we have to say it's okay if you make that choice. Yeah, to know that you have the choices, and I think that's an excellent point, Sally, because I think another thing is you also have the choice to have one child. You don't have Absolutely. to have two. You don't have to have three, and that makes an enormous difference in terms of time and energy that you have left to pursue your own career. And we see more and more women making that choice, and that's a completely acceptable choice. You know, And I think that those are the kinds of things we have to be talking to young women and young girls about. They They can't... They don't have to have everything. If they want to try to have everything, they can do it, but they can't do everything at one time, and they may not be able to have everything in the same degree. Just yeah, you may have, and I, I'm quoting uh, uh, Kathy Black, the president of uh, Hearst Magazines, and yeah. she says, not have everything, but have your everything, and there's a right. difference. 
there's a huge difference. That's a great quote. Yeah, I, I thought so. And uh, yeah, because that's what we. But I think there's this emphasis that we can. We're excited now. We, and you bring up a whole new point. One minute before we have to say goodbye. But uh, you know, at first we were limited by having to stay home and and uh, and bake cookies. And now we're in a situation where they're telling us, well, you can have it all, which you can't do that either. You can't. You have to have balance. And you know, seeking balance is. You, you, if you have a child and you think you're going to pursue a career, and you have a child who's born with sicknesses or or some kinds of disabilities, you know, you cannot do everything well and you can't do it all at one time. So it is careful choices. And, again, choosing carefully for what your dreams are that aren't anybody else's dreams necessarily. Yeah, just make sure they're your own. Sally Morgan yeah. Reese, thank you so much for thank being on you. the show. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I want, uh, you know, listeners, you can purchase Sally's book. You can go online, Work Left Undone, Choices and Compromises of Talented Females. Have a great day. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. We're going to take a short break right now. You're listening to Voice America Women's Channel. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone. radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Inner Health Through Homeopathy, hosted by Melissa Birch, CCH, with Dr. Tim Stryker. This show features a weekly discussion about homeopathy, a holistic approach to health care which treats ailments by bringing the entire body into balance. Homeopathy encompasses and examines the makeup of the entire person instead of focusing solely on a disease or ailment. The healing process involves physical, mental, and emotional changes which come from a wellness within. Homeopathic remedies go far beyond an alleviation of symptoms. They can restore harmony to the body and open paths to a higher level of awareness. Each week, Melissa Birch, CCH, explores a different health issue and individual healing processes with Tim Stryker, MD. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Inner Health Through Homeopathy. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America, Women's Radio Network.
You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back on the Women's Channel with Catherine Zox and Lauren Feller. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. So what do you think, Lauren? It's, <clears throat> she was great. I enjoy hearing the, I enjoy hearing the perspective, you know, gifted kids are just as challenging for all of us and it's you said it you know it's how we that's what we want yep. or don't want <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well it's it's difficult it's as difficult raising a, a gifted and chal- talented child as it is a child who has disabil- disabilities or you know certain physical or mental limitations that's difficult but so is the other end exactly that's yeah. what so, I never thought of it that way and I think that it's interesting when we have a child that's not quote normal it's difficult if the easiest child is the one who's in the middle exactly. you know, that's the easy one that's the you know those are the easy kids to raise they go to school the school system is really set up for them it makes you know they're they're, they're not challenging the school system you don't have the teacher calling you every five minutes um you know i had a son who was just totally bored and he just and I, I was very very concerned because he would come home and in five minutes all his work was done and <laughs> and he'd be sitting there watching television so yeah, I mean you know totally bored with life exactly and so uh, you know we uh, rectified that problem and uh, and really was a challenge but it was a positive challenge and it worked out well but it is it's more difficult I think it, it can be very difficult and for women and for young girls particularly um because, you know, a young girl, I, I remember my father, even when I was younger, used to say to me, this is just in terms of sports, you know, I'd have the boys over to play and I'd be playing, I was a champion ping pong player, and he used to say, well, you have to let them win. Oh. <laughs> I, what? No, I don't, and I never did, but still, it was like, that was kind of like the mod, you know, make make the guy feel good, don't, you know, be smarter than he is. And, That's and don't, funny. Yeah, isn't it? But it wasn't wow. funny. But that's just, a message. That that's, is a message. That's not a good message. No, I agree with that. And I think kids need to see us do our best. That's going to have them do their best. Yeah. It's, uh, so don't do that to Sierra. I don't no, think you would. No way. No, no way. I, yeah, I'm just the opposite. I'm like, you know. Get out there, girl. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get out there. you got to be famous. you got to make money. you got to be successful. you got to do all of these things. Yeah, and watch me. You know, do what I do, you know. Yeah. Exactly. It's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Well, coming up next, we have Jenny Levin, who's going to be talking to us about. This is kind of in a different arena. This is she's the uh, she was the former senior fashion news editor with Harper's Bazaar, mm-hmm. and you know that's a fabulous magazine. Great. The, the title of the book is Harper's Bazaar: Great Style: The Best Ways to Update Your Look. I definitely need updating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Catherine. You're pretty hip. No, I'm better off on the academic part of it. This is, well, I have to tell you, this is what, um, who was, oh, Judge Judy? Uh-huh. She, this is a quote, from, I'm quoting all these women today, but Judge Judy said that beauty fades, dumb is forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's so her. Yeah, and I so love it. It's so perfect for us baby boomer ladies. Just remember that. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's true. However, Eve Saint Laurent, in the book, in the book that uh, Jenny Levin wrote, Bizarre Harper's Bizarre Great Style, he says that fashion fades and style is eternal. So that's the other side of the coin. Interesting. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know if you've read the book, but... I have not read the book. Yeah, well, the Harper's Bazaar one, you should get it because it's one of those that you can just refer to when you're looking in your closet and you think, I have nothing to wear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My brother called me once. He said, and he has two, da- he has two daughters, and they're, they're, ador- they're smart, they're beautiful anyway, but they, he said he was taking care of one of them or he was at home with one of them. I think she was in high school. And he said to me, he said, she just said to me, they she had some party to go to, and I guess her mother was away or whatever. And so she said to my brother, she said, I don't have anything to wear. And he said to me, <laughs> he said, Catherine, her closet, she's got three closets full of stuff. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I said, well, you know. It, it means that she has too much in her closet. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's not the point. It, it's, you know, that that's not the point, how much stuff you have in your it's closet. A, it's so true. It has yeah. nothing to do with it. It's, it's how you put it together, and it's uh, you have to be very creative about that. But anyway, so I don't want to get into it too much because Jenny's going to talk to us about that. Uh, you know, I went to the Boston. I can't get this. I, I'm, like, on this kick with Pink Magazine, and I went to the seminar in Boston last week. You know, I went to the seminar in New York. I do, had. yeah, and then you went to Boston. I haven't spoken to you since, and it no. sounds like it was great. It was, and it was very different. Now, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Pink Magazine has put on this whole this seminar of, of um, well, they are they're seminars across the country. Conference, uh, they're not conferences; they're seminars, two-hour luncheon seminars for women with high-powered women on a panel, and they talk about their experiences and how they got to the top. And they have there's a moderator, and then also uh, women in the audience can ask questions. Uh, and it was a very different, you know, it was four different women. New York had Soldat O'Brien, and uh, this one had uh, actually the head of human resources for the uh, Omni Corporation, the big hotel. Uh, So a different group of women and a different group in Boston, which is interesting. They marketed to the colleges and the graduate schools, and so they had a lot, a younger group, you know, women in their 20s. So the conversation was very different because the issues were different, but uh, and it was more low-key. It was more low-key and younger. So yeah. was the message different? Uh, you know, that's interesting. I think the message, I think a lot of the women were, had, the questions were different because these women were just starting out. Some of them were Harvard MBA students. Some of them were in their first jobs in big corporations. And at, in New York, you had more women in their 30s and 40s who actually were at a little bit higher up on the entrepreneurial scale in terms of having their own businesses or being higher up in the corporate ladder. Uh-huh. So they had different, you know, they did have different questions, I guess. Like uh, I think the younger ones, I'll tell you, one of, <clears throat> one of the questions that, that kept coming up is, if it's not working for me here, what do I do? How long do I stay? Oh, you know, That was a Boston question. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I'm here, I'm starting, you know, is it, should I stay here and learn from, you know, this maybe environment that really isn't that nurturing, this corporate environment, or do I leave? And when do I know it's time to leave, and how do, and at what point do I realize I'm not going to go any further in this organization? Those kinds of questions. Very interesting. So it does sound like a younger crowd in some ways, like a younger perspective. Yeah. Another one of the questions, Lauren, was this. They asked, um, you know, you're always looking ahead at your boss. And, and looking up the corporate ladder, uh-huh. but one of the uh, one of the panelists said, you know, be sure to be sure to pay attention to those people under you also who are looking up your skirt. <laughs> 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 you need to know what they're doing also. 
Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, yeah. it's, it's both directions. Exactly. So you have to be always, you know, you have to be very aware of what's happening in your environment. But uh, no, it was very very cool, and I got um, two more goodie bags of stuff. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, which they give out to you. You get these free these three uh, free packets of Spanx. Do you ever wear Spanx? I have. I do have Spanx. They're yeah. cool, aren't they? Yeah, they're very cool. I got actually. Black- that woman that that started that business is a relatively, I think she's probably 40, if that, and that's a great business story. She started her business in her 20s. She did did it all herself, researching. It came from a personal problem that she had. A personal uh, problem with her pantyhose. A personal problem with her <laughs> pantyhose, ladies. Don't dismiss those pantyhose. They're important. But and don't dismiss the problems because the problems lead to, like, there's a solution, and that solution is a huge opportunity. Yeah, and if you have problems with your pantyhose, so does somebody else. Exactly. Fifty <laughs> percent of us have pantyhose problems. <laughs> so the problem was it was the lines. Wasn't it showing underneath your pants? Yes, like the- and it was her toes. And she, her toes got scrunched in the pantyhose, and she didn't like it, and she didn't like how they looked in shoes, and she didn't like the lines under her pants as well. So she cut off the toes, right? Exactly. She yeah. cut the toes. She cut the feet off. And it worked, and she said, there's an opportunity here. If I cut the feet off, and, you know, now I have a nice butt and my feet look good, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it went from there. Now she's got dozens of different kinds of pantyhoses and undergarments and that kind of stuff. And we're talking about a multi, multi-million dollar business. Exactly. I think that she partnered, or Richard Bramson, you know, Richard Bramson, uh-huh. the billionaire, uh-huh. the billionaire who, I think it's British Airways, um, he contributed to her foundation. She now has a foundation. Oh, a I didn't foundation. know that. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, she does. She has a major foundation, and I think she goes around the world. Um, I don't know if it's distributing her spanks, but uh, no, she goes to third world countries, and now she takes a lot of her time and her money in helping women in other countries. And I think he contributed hundreds of thousands of dollars to her foundation because of the work that she has done. So I mean, and she's like thirty years old, I think thirty, thirty-two years old. Yeah, she's got a great story. Yeah. So so did you get spanks in your bag? Yes, you got spanks. I got black, black ones in New York. No, I got. I'm sorry, I got beige. I got. Like kind of that charcoal in New York, uh-huh. and then when I went to Boston, I got a, the black ones. Yeah, they gave them; they were part of the package. Interesting. Yeah, they gave you all kinds of goodies in your goodie bag. I like great. it. Yeah, it was great, and I got uh, oh, I don't know these like these uh, the chocolates from the, some chocolate company, and they had all this great stuff. <laughs> Sounds like a good goodie bag. Yeah, it was. It was stuff that you can use. Very practical perfumes and and cosmetics and wrinkle cream. Do you need wrinkle cream? <laughs> you know, I'm sure everybody would use it. Everybody could use it, but I just don't use it, no. No, you don't need wrinkle cream. I don't use it. My grandmother says, you know, before she died, my grandmother always says, you know, you should start using wrinkle cream at a really young age and you'll never look like you needed it, you know. And I just, she used to use that oil valet, you know, and she, she was so funny. And what did she look like? Well, she looked like <laughs> she was 89 when she died. <laughs> But you know. how did she, and, okay, she was 89, but did she have, you, you can't have a wrinkle-free face at 89. No, but she didn't look 89. I would say she had a nice younger, she had a nice younger looking face, but, you know, don't get me wrong, she still had wrinkles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk to Jenny Levin when we come back. She is the author of Harper's Bazaar, Great Style, The Best Ways to Update Your Look. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to the Women's Channel on Voice America. 
talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Tired of those fad diets and exercise routines that you don't stick with? Want to find a better way to incinerate fat and energize your life without those worthless pills or gimmicks? Then tune in every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific to Fitness Truth with hosts Zach Hunt and A.J. Roberts. Achieve your weight loss and fitness goals and maintain them for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. That's Fitness Truth, Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Did you know your child's asthma attacks can be triggered by things like shower curtains, a blanket, even a teddy bear? I feel like I'm choking. And there are many other things in your home and your child's classroom you may not know about. For the latest information, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Sometimes I... My parents have to take me to the hospital. Help prevent your child's asthma attacks and avoid the emergency room. Call toll-free 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Or visit www.noattacks.org. I don't want to feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Let's face it, hormones happen. Whether you're a male or female, hormones have an impact on your overall well-being. Dr. Hart brings to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel timely topics that answer your lifelong questions about hormones in men, women, and teens. Tune in to Optimal Wellness every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Optimal Wellness. Live life well. Live life long. Live life to the fullest. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. You're listening to Voice America Women's Channel. I'm Catherine Fox, your social worker with a microphone. And joining us this morning is Jenny Levin. She is author of Harper's Bazaar, Great Style, The Best Ways to Update Your Look. And she was the senior fashion news editor at Harper's Bazaar from 2002 to 2007. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Jenny. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. Well, you in your book you say that we don't have to be we don't have to fear fashion we don't have to be fashion victims. Right. Um, there's lots that we can do for ourselves, and yeah. you really take us through it point by point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to. You also don't have to fancy yourself a fashionista. You know, it's not the book really offers classic, timeless tips and helps you sort of start from the beginning from building your wardrobe. Um, really, and it works no matter sort of what level of interest you have in fashion. Okay, so what are the essentials that we need to start building our wardrobe? Because you talk about there's some very specific things that are must that every woman should have in her wardrobe, no matter how old she is. Yes, if you have a foundation of, you know, certain pieces, you really can build from there, and, and you'll be pretty pretty well set. A dark, lean suit, you know, is so versatile because not only can you wear it as a suit, which 
you know, you, most people have lots of need for. Um, but you can wear the blazer with jeans. You can wear it over a cocktail dress, you, can, you know, out at night. And black pants, you can wear anytime, all the time. Um, so that's really a good investment. And that's something that's sort of worth finding a really, you know, a, a, a well-fitting, uh, high-quality piece. Um, a pencil skirt, you can't go wrong with that, especially if you are in the workforce. Um, but it's something... But what about if you're a little bit, Jenny, a little chunky? I mean, let's say, you know... Well, you certainly you can, use, you can use sort of um, any, you know, variable uh, take on the pencil skirt. It, can, it doesn't have to be super skinny and slim. It can be sort of A-line, you know, but like a black sort of nice-fitting skirt, um whether it's a little A-line, whatever sort of shape works for you. It can be an inch below the knee, an inch above the knee, um, but it should be pretty polished, you know, and relatively conservative. And you can sort of make it sexy for night, for cocktail party, for dinner, and wear it to work all the time with sweaters, with shirts, you know. So you can dress it up or dress it down, and it's exactly. great. You can travel with it. That makes it easy for exactly. traveling. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then talk about the white shirt. Carolyn Herrera, the designer, says, I, yes. that's very, yeah, I think that's very cool, and I don't have that in my wardrobe. You no, know, so. it's, it's so versatile, that white shirt. If you have a really nice white shirt that, you know, you can keep in good condition or Sometimes if you wear it a lot, you have to, you know, get new ones every so often. But they can, you can wear a white shirt with everything as, you know, it could be your bikini cover-up, and you could wear it <laughs> with a ball <laughs> skirt out to a formal affair. And, of course, with jeans, you can wear it, obviously, to the office all the time. I mean, it really um, can serve so many purposes. So no closet should be without one or two of those. So what about, Jenny, uh, different age groups? Because you really do cover that in the book. Yes. So important. And now we have this whole, well, at work, intergenerational, four generations of women work in the workplace. And right. your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, you can take it all the way up into the 70s and into the 80s. Exactly. And I think you need to be realistic about your age and be honest with yourself and embrace your age and don't try to, you know, just because you're in your 50s doesn't mean you have to do everything you can to look like you're in your 30s, you know. I think you should dress appropriately for your age, but it doesn't mean giving up, you know, beautiful or chic clothing or looks. Um, I think you have to wear more expensive clothes, and you, you do touch on this in, in, the, in the book. But Yeah, I mean, it, when you get older, I think structure is really important, high-quality pieces. You don't have to have... Structure is definitely important, and yeah. undergarments are important. <laughs> Yes, uh, exactly. We have a whole chapter on that as well. But I think when you get older, you, you know, hopefully you sort of, you, you know what you like and you know what works for you. You don't have to have so many, um, you know, I think when you're younger you want to experiment and have just some fun throwaway things as well. But I think you just need to be realistic and just try to dress polished and sophisticated. Don't try to dress like your daughter. Yeah, you and know, don't try to dress like your mother either. That's, exactly. You, don't, you don't have to age yourself, you know. And you if you have a great body, show it off. But, but you know, okay, you have a great body, show it off. And this is uh, that brings me to my next question. Because yeah. what if you do have a great, you're 50 years old, you have a great body, you have good legs. I saw a woman right. in the airport the other day, and she looked, but she had a mini skirt on. And, you know, yeah. even though she had a great body, it wasn't, it was trendy, but it really wasn't chic, and it wasn't yeah. that her legs, it Somehow she just wasn't appropriate. It didn't yeah. look right, you know, and then it detracts from the whole what you're trying to do. I mean, if you have great legs, so wear a pencil skirt to your knee. Wear, you know, wear, wear something to your knee you can 
and high heels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you also talk about the um, what we can do, just put our own stamp on our own style, I guess, like the movie stars, you're talking, Jennifer Aniston, and yeah. then you go through, you know, Sarah Jessica yeah. Parker, they all have their, their own little stamp, their own little look, and we can do the same thing. Exactly, and I think yeah. sometimes the celebrities, I mean, there's so many sort of fashion icons out there and people that we look to um, for style, and I think that, you know, you can identify yourself with a celebrity a little bit or at least say, you know, I really like her. I'm not so sure about my style, but I really like her style. I like the way she looks all the time, and I feel like that's something I could do, and you can try to incorporate that and learn from them. Um, obviously, the celebrities, you know, really can choose from anything they want to wear. Maybe <laughs> us civilians are a little bit more limited in our in, in our wardrobe choices, but you can just sort of take some tips from them, and you have to you know, really be confident and comfortable with yourself. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with experimenting and seeing what works, but, you know, not forcing yourself into a trend because it's trendy. Yeah. And you talk about accessorizing, which I think is really important. Spend money, spend your money on expensive pocketbook and shoes and belts, and that really makes a difference, and you keep them for a long time. Or a coat, for instance. You talk, you know, you can get a very expensive coat and keep it for 10 years, and it's worth every penny. It's worth every penny. And, you know, something like a coat, well, you know, it doesn't matter so much what you have underneath if you have a beautiful coat on. And it really, something like that is going to last you for a long time. And, you know, coats are expensive, so it's better to sort of invest wisely in that rather than having something look worn out, you know, too soon because a coat, everybody sees your coat. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Everybody does see your coat. You wear it all the time. A lot, yeah. You know, another problem that you brought up, I think you were quoting Coco Chanel, which is my problem. That's why I want to mention it. You know, you hook onto one designer, and then I I do this. I I wear a lot of St. John, and it's easy, and it fits me, so I'll buy the suit and the pocketbook and the bag. And she said, then all you're doing is you're advertising the designer, not your own look. So, well, it's you know it's sort of twofold. I mean, in one sense, if you find a designer that works for you and you're comfortable in those clothes, that's you know stick with it. If that's what you like, you know it. Maybe you don't have a ton of time to go shopping, and you know this designer that you feel good in it and it looks good. That's fine. But the concept is you don't want to force yourself into a head-to-toe runway look yeah. without sort of making it look your own. You know, maybe Well, I'm five feet tall, so I'm not going to look like the runway. <laughs> right. So, you know, but you could put your own, you could mix it up so it doesn't look have to look exactly like that sort of catalog look, you know, whether you mix and match the suit or, you know, throw in Get different Get a different shoes. designer bag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or where, you know, maybe belt it or add some jewelry in interesting ways or just mix it up a little bit, you know, just so it sort of says you and and it lets you shine and it's not about, oh, I'm wearing this entire... It's not about St. John, it's about exactly, me. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to close to overshadow you. Uh, we have to say goodbye. Uh, lots more to ask, but you know what, listeners, just go out and buy the book. because yep, it's, it's on it's, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can go to bizarre.com for more information. Yeah, it's a great book. And, it, boy, it is very practical. Yeah. Yeah, and it'll it be is. practical, you know, in five years, too, I think. It's not. Exactly. It's not going to change because exactly. it's good advice. Thank it's you so much, Jenny, okay, for being on. Thank you so much for having me on. Great to have you on, Jenny Levin. And the name of the book is Harper's Bazaar Great Style Best Ways to Update Your Look. Lauren, we're going to be saying goodbye. I hope you. It was fun. Thank yeah. you, as always. It's, as always. It's always fun on the Women's Channel on Voice America. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Thursday. <laughs>